All right, we're going to continue in our sermon series of, of growing up. Our goal this morning is to uh, grow up to be more like Christ in everything we do and say. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. The ministers schedule a planning retreat after Labor Day each year. This is a time for us to get away and pray and reflect, evaluate, you know, review the holiday events as they are coming up and, and even plan for the upcoming year. And September 9 and 10 were the dates that we got away this year. And we're able to go to the Williams Guest Home on the North Shore. Several of our church groups uh, go to the North Shore and, and stay at the Williams Guest Home, and we're always appreciative of the Williams family hospitality. And each year when the ministers get away, we, we planned a, a schedule and an agenda, you know, a time of prayer. And one of my favorite activities on this retreat is enjoying Faye's bre breakfast casserole. I don't know if you've had Faye's breakfast casserole, but I think it's delicious. It's a sausage and cheese dish. And I always enjoy adding that to our agenda. And then when she sees it in ministers' meetings, she kind of rolls her eyes. But she's always agreeable and to, to make this breakfast for us. And I'm appreciative of Faye because this adds a little more extra work for her because it does require her to you know, go to the grocery store and, and, and buy the items to make this dish. So it adds a little extra work for her, but she's always gracious uh, to do this. And the week of week before our retreat, she called me, and she was reviewing her shopping list, and she was suggesting about getting some fruit uh, for a snack during our discussion, which I thought was fine. Then she mentioned about getting some cookie dough and, and baking some cookies, and I didn't think anything about it. Well, she went to the store, got her items, Monday morning, September the 9th, we gathered here at the church. We loaded the, the church vehicle of our belongings and phased groceries. We, we drove to the North Shore, got to the Williams Guest uh, Rest Home, uh, drove up. I jumped out of the vehicle to unlock the door and to disarm the burglar alarm. And right behind me was the group with their bags and the cooler of bottled water. And we had some tea in there and, and phased groceries. Well, the door that we went in is the side door. And you go in that door and you go into the kitchen. So I unlocked the door, opened the door, and people were right behind me. And everybody just stopped in the, in the kitchen and, and was helping Faye uh, unload the cooler of items. And then all of a sudden, Taylor gets this bucket of cookie dough and puts it on the counter. He opens the, the top, reaches in the drawer and gets a spoon, digs a big piece of cookie dough and starts to eat it. Amen. To my amazement, everybody else got in line to get their spoonful of cookie dough. And I was standing by the door 
I said, what are y'all doing? I said, we're eating cookie dough. I said, but it's raw cookie dough. And Faye said, Bob, have you never had raw cookie dough? And I said, no. And she says, you need to try it. It'll change your life. <laughs> so cautiously, I got the spoon and I got me a little piece and I ate it. And I was amazed how good that raw cookie dough was. And I had to get a couple of more spoonfuls just to make sure. Well, we quickly put everything up and, and uh, sat down and had our time of prayer and, um, and started our agenda. We quit a little early so we could go get a uh, hamburger for dinner in time to get back for the Saints game. Because, you know, that was the Saints opening game when they played Houston. Well, toward halfway toward the end of the second quarter, Taylor goes and gets a plate and puts all this raw cookie dough on it. And I was looking at that cookie dough, and I think, that looks so good. And I could not wait to get me a piece of uh, raw cookie dough. Well, halftime came. I went to the refrigerator. I got me a, a big ball of raw cookie dough. Went outside to call my wife, Janice. After our greeting and then comments back and forth of our concern of the Houston game, I asked her, why don't we eat raw cookie dough? <laughs> I still remember that long, awkward pause and that accusing question, are you eating raw cookie dough? <laughs> well, you know my answer. Well, everybody else is doing it. <laughs> but then I got a little short lecture on the risk of eating raw eggs because some of us are, or some people are concerned about salmonella. And so um, I have not had any raw cookie dough since that retreat. And I had not realized the difference of opinion in our population on eating raw cookie dough. And I did not realize what a conflict that could cause. You know, Apparently, some people are concerned, and it is sort of a conflict. Well, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul begins this chapter with conflict. As we look at our text this morning in, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul addresses a conflict in the church of Philippi between Euodia and Syntyche, or Syntyche, however you want to pronounce her name. I do not know if this conflict began over... Uh, one of these ladies bringing raw cookie dough to the Philippi church-wide covered dish meal. But it does, it does not include any details. We do not know anything about this conflict. But growing up together includes handling conflicts properly. I think it's interesting how Paul addressed this situation. You know, he addressed the church as family and true partners and to help these women who have helped Paul in the faith. He described them as co-workers whose names are in, written in the book of life. Paul did not provide instructions on how to help these ladies, but immediately commands the church to rejoice. I want us to see three signs of Christian maturity. Our sermon bump includes speaking... Uh, 
the truth and love. And we are to grow up to become more like Christ in everything. And a question for us this morning is how are we growing spiritually? I first want us to look at growing up spiritually helps us to rejoice and not fight. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, and the Lord is near. Rejoice comes from the word joy, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You know those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Paul told the Philippian church to rejoice right after he calls the two women out for fighting, can you imagine your name being written in Scripture? I mean, there's some pretty important people in Scripture. You've got uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Peter, James, and John. And then all of a sudden, these two women, Yodia and, and Sintiki, uh, are recognized and called out uh, for over a church fight. Paul follows a similar pattern of rejoicing with problems in chapter 3, where he wrote, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. These are the Judaizers that followed Paul or were everywhere that gave Paul trouble. But Paul said, rejoice. And I want to remind you that if you are looking for a problem-free season in your life, you'll never get it. We are surrounded by problems. And as long as we're on this earth, we will experience problems. We've all heard the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is circumstantial and, and can change quickly. Happiness is determined on what is happening around us. Joy is the internal and comes from Christ to the Holy Spirit and is not affected by our circumstances. When we truly rejoice, people will see it. Paul said, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The New American Standard translates this verse, Let's, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Have you ever thought about when you rejoice or are full of joy, it calms your spirit? It gives you a calm and peaceful demeanor. And people recognize that. I also like the way the New Living Translation translates this verse. Verse says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. When you have the joy of the Lord, you treat others in a Christ-like way, and they see the difference in you. Would you rather be with a person rejoicing in the Lord that is encouraging you, or an individual that is negative and complaining? Well, that's a silly question. We want to be around people who are rejoicing and encouraging and praising the Lord. Have you ever heard the statement, rejoice is a choice? Have you heard that statement before? It is the decision to rejoice. 
It is a decision to rejoice and not complain about others and focus on our problems. It is the choice to rejoice and not be angry or sad. After thinking about this statement, I have to admit that I disagree. I disagree. Making the decision at the beginning of the day does not work. At least it doesn't work for me. I mean, I have gotten up in the mornings and, and prayed and read the Bible and made the decision to rejoice. So you ask what the problem is. Well, one of the problems is morning traffic in Orleans Parish. <laughs> Just five minutes of making that decision and getting on the road transfers my rejoicing and either anger or fear because of my fellow drivers. In the morning, the commitment to make a choice to rejoice or my decision to rejoice, to, to make a decision to rejoice is literally out the window. What I have learned is I have to make hundreds of choices to rejoice throughout the day. Charles Spurgeon wrote that rejoicing is obedience to Christ. The word rejoice is not just only joy once. It is joy over and over again. We are to rejoy throughout our day. Let's make the commitment to make choices to rejoice every day. Every hour, and for some of us, make the decision to rejoice every minute. Rejoicing is a sign that we are growing up spiritually in Christ. And when that happens, not only does it promote spiritual growth, but it is a good witness and it encourages others. Growing up spiritually helps us to rejoice and not fight, but also growing up spiritually causes us to pray and not worry. Look at verse 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. If anyone had an excuse to worry, it's the Apostle Paul. He was in a Roman prison, and his friends in Philippi were disagreeing with one another, and he was not there to help them. Added to his stress was the possibility of his own death in that Roman jail. And Roman jails were different, are, were different than our jails today. The Roman prisoners did not get a little cot and three meals a day and, and clean clothes. The only way that the Roman prisoners were ministered or helped is if their friends showed up to help them. Paul had an excuse to worry, but instead he was encouraging others and reminded them not to worry. The word, the word worry is a picture of being pulled in different directions. And our, our hope is pulled in one direction. And then our fears and stresses are pulled in many different directions. And as, men, and as much as we enjoy and love our city, it is easy to find ways to worry living in New Orleans. How many of us uh, watch the weather very closely this summer? You wanted to watch the weather forecast because of those threatening afternoon thunder showers. And it was amazing how different areas in our city flooded. 
some areas in our city flooded that had never flooded before. And then the sewage and water board finds automobiles in our drainage system, which is probably part of the problem. That is amazing to me. Had a friend uh, visit a few weeks ago from central Mississippi. And during the meal, I asked him, has New Orleans made the national news in Mississippi? He says, for what? I said, for finding automobiles in our drainage system. There is plenty to worry about. And now we have to worry about Drew Brees' right thumb healing completely before our Super Bowl. And now I was encouraged to see him on the news throwing football. So hopefully he is healing uh, well. But the old English word worry gives us a different word picture. It means to strangle. If you, ever have, if you have ever really worried you know how it strangles a person. It's like a type of paralysis and the person cannot function like he or she, he should. Worry causes stress. And we've all heard and read the research about how stress affects our body with headaches and neck aches and ulcers. From a spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking, which involves the mind, wrong feeling, which involves the heart about circumstances and people and situations around us. Worry is a joy killer. Worry strangles our hope and our peace, and it prevents us from looking up at the Savior and focuses and forces us to look down around us. Now, we've all seen movies of people trying to escape danger and come across and come up on a canyon or some deep creek and Janice and I were watching a movie a while, and these two individuals were in danger when they were running. And there was this log going across this deep canyon. The first person got on the log and walked across with no problem, but the person behind them got on the log, and you know what happens. You know, they take a few steps, and they hesitate to take a few steps, and then get right in the middle of the log, and they stop. And what do they do? They look down. And as everyone is, if you're, if you're familiar with that uh, situation, if you're familiar with that a scene in the movie, when someone looks down, you can hear yourself inside saying, don't look down, look up. Look forward so you can finish your journey across that barrier. And that's what we need to do when we worry. When we, we need to look up to Jesus and not look down at our situation. Oswald Chambers calls, it, calls worry unconscious blasphemy. If we are growing up in Christ, we will pray more. Verse 6 says, But in everything through prayer, petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. How would your life change if you prayed instead of worrying? Well, for some of us, we would be praying a lot more. We will be praying all the time. Well, isn't that biblical? Isn't that what Paul uh, wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, pray without ceasing. We should pray about everything. Prayer, prayer is that general word of making our requests known to God. It carries the idea of devotion and worship. 
Our first words of prayer should be words of worship and honor. In our prayers, we need to see the, the majesty of God and realize that He's bigger than any of our problems and circumstances. Petitions in our prayers are presented, presenting our needs and problems to God and includes the confidence and trust that God will supply all of our needs. Our prayers should include thanksgiving. Our Heavenly Father enjoys hearing His children say thank you and have a grateful heart. Luke 17, Jesus healed ten lepers. And how many came back to say thank you? Only one. Only one came back to give thanks. And I wonder what the percentage is today. Did you notice that our rejoicing influences our prayers? Paul said to rejoice with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in verse 6, our prayers should include thanksgiving. Can we rejoice without truly being thankful? And can we truly be thankful without rejoicing? When we live a lifestyle of rejoicing, we cannot help but include thanksgiving in our prayers. When we live a life of rejoicing, our prayers will confirm it. As you know, my dad is a retired pastor. He's 88 years old, and he no longer preaches or is able to teach his Sunday school class, but he still prays. And he's not as strong as he used to be, and sometimes he's a little forgetful. But his prayers are still effective and powerful. In August, Janice and I went to Alabama for a funeral uh, for a good friend of a family. And this lady who passed away was my father's secretary uh, when he pastored the church in Montgomery in the 70s. The daughter wanted my dad to, to do the funeral, but he was unable. So I had the honor of conducting the funeral for Edwina Stevens. I knew my parents would attend the funeral, and so I asked my dad to help me with the graveside service. And you know the, the scene of the graveside service, where that uh, grave is surrounded by family and friends. And so when it came time to start, I opened the service with some comments and scripture, but the most impressive part about that graveside service was my father's prayer about the hope and peace we have in Christ and thanking God for our dear friend. We all know people who are strong prayers. Their rejoicing and thanksgiving are always included in their, in their prayers. My father also pastored a church in Mississippi which I am very grateful for because that's where I met my bride. During that time, during the, the way we did the services, that after the invitation, my father would call on somebody out in the congregation to dismiss the service uh, in prayer. And there was an older deacon in the church named Drew Goodwin. And when Mr. Goodwin prayed, it was like eavesdropping on his friendly conversation with God. Aren't our prayers supposed to be conversations with God that will include worship and thanksgiving and guidance in our daily needs? Growing up in Christ increases our joy, decreases our worry, improves our prayer life, 
and also helps us to grow up in peace. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is mentioned throughout the Bible. The Bible mentions world peace. Isaiah prophesies in chapter 9, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. There's another type of peace that comes when our sins are forgiven. Romans 5.1, Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what is the peace that Paul is talking about here? Well, it's not world peace. It's not the peace at salvation, but it's the peace in our heart that only the mature Christian experiences. It is the peace that guards our hearts in the toughest of times. It is the kind of peace that is unexplainable. And that word guard is the same word used in 1 Peter chapter 1, which is uh, similar to the military term that means to protect by guarding. Some of us have experienced that type of peace that surpasses understanding. That peace from God that is unexplainable. It is not world peace because everything around you was, un was uncertain and troubling. And it was not the peace that you experienced from salvation because that happened years ago. It was the kind of peace that only a mature Christian can experience whether they're in a hospital room, a funeral home, or a difficult situation at work, or problems at home. You can't explain it, but you felt the presence of the Holy Spirit calm your spirit, and you are full with the loving peace of God. It is the assurance that God will never leave you or forsake you. It is the quiet confidence that you are safe with God because you are growing up spiritually. Growing up spiritually helps us to rejoice and not fight. But growing up spiritually causes us to pray and not worry. But third, growing up spiritually causes our thoughts and motivates us to lead others. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul challenges the church of Philippi with six goals regarding their thoughts and meditation throughout the day. Whatever is true, meaning the opposite of dishonest and unreliable. Whatever is honorable, meaning dignified and worthy of respect. Whatever is just, meaning to conform to God's standards. Whatever is pure, meaning whatever is wholesome and not mixed with moral impurity. Whatever is lovely, meaning to promote, promote peace rather than conflict. Whatever is commendable, 
relating to what is positive and constructive rather than negative and destructive. Paul ends his instructions by writing, by right thinking, by dwelling on and meditating on moral excellence and anything praiseworthy. A Christian cannot separate the outward action with the inner attitude. We might fool some people, but this inner, inward turmoil causes unrest in our spirit. Then Paul balances four actions of a godly leader. Learned and received and heard and seen. It is one thing to learn a truth, but another to receive it and apply it to our lives. Facts in our head are not enough. We must also believe and apply God's truth to our life. Paul not only taught the Word of God, but he lived it so that his listeners could see the truth in his life. Paul practice, Paul's practice should be our practice by encouraging and leading others. And what is the result? The God of peace will be with you. And this is the second time Paul mentions the peace of God. First, God's peace guards and protects our hearts. And now Paul is saying that the God of peace himself goes with you. God's peace is one test of whether or not we are in God's will. It's also the evidence of growing spiritually. I like Colossians 3.15. It says, And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. What is in your heart this morning? Does the peace of God rule and fill your heart? As the world's burdens and stresses pulling you in different directions. Do your thoughts honor God? And can you follow Paul's example in verse 9, which may be, for me, one of the most challenging verses in our text, when it says, Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. Only a Christian that is growing up in Christ, maturing in their faith, can say that. And I think we need to be very careful what we say and what we do. I know some of us are hurting. I know some of us are frustrated. And probably some of us are confused during this season in our church. And I am concerned that some of us believe that we are in a crisis situation right now. But I want to tell you, we are not. Our church is in a transitional period, but not a crisis. We are a loving and strong church family. God has been faithful to our church, and we need to remember that. And He will continue to be faithful to us. And we need to remember to love each other. Our motives and goals must be to rejoice and to pray and to trust God as we mature spiritually together and remember the promise of our God is peace in our heart, in our heart 
as long as we're obedient. Let's pray. God, our Father, we do praise you today. We thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for being in control of everything around us. And I pray that you just speak to our hearts and convict us. Lord, I pray that you help us to continue to grow up and to be more like Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are not experiencing your peace this morning. I pray that you will lead them into obedience. Lord, I pray that you help us to rejoice, that we will see your face. Lord, that you help us to be encouragers and not discouragers. Lord, I pray that you help us to rejoice, to make our prayers of, become prayers of hope and of joy. And Lord, we, we thank you. Lord, it's only in Christ that we can grow. And I pray that you continue to help us. Lord, I pray for that person who needs to make a decision this morning. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage. Lord, I pray that you give them the way. Lord, that they may uh, be more like Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.